how should we draw political maps in the state of Michigan to be sure that African-American voters have the voice that they're supposed to have? Hey, it's Stephen Henderson on the podcast today. We're going to talk about the Voting Rights Act and what it says about our new process of drawing electoral maps here in Michigan. We're going to talk with Sherry Gay Danyogo, a former state representative who's supporting a lawsuit by black voters who say that these new maps don't give African-Americans sufficient voice. Then we're going to talk with Joshua Douglas, a law professor at the University of Kentucky who studies voting rights, about how this fits into the national context of the discussion of how the Voting Rights Act should be interpreted in the 21st century. Help us understand why some black voters and others believe that these current maps violate the Voting Rights Act. We're joined by former Detroit State Representative Sherry Gay Danyogo. She is someone who is supporting this court challenge. Uh, Sherry, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate an opportunity to come on and talk about this very critical and historical issue uh, that we're facing in the state of Michigan. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Redistricting Commission's executive director, Edward Woods III, sent us a statement. And I want to I read that before I get to the conversation with you, Sherry. He says, as mandated by Michigan's constitution, the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission followed the seven ranked redistricting criteria in creating maps for the congressional, state senate, and state house districts. We look forward to our stellar legal team proving this again in court. He doesn't really get into the details there uh, of the challenge or the work that the commission did to try to sort out what the Voting Rights Act required and what would give us a reflective uh, outcome, I guess, uh, in these maps. So I want to start here with you, Sherry. Why do you think these new maps drawn after the 2020 census discriminate against black voters? So so thank you, Stephen. And, you know, it's it's really dangerous when um, individuals who uh, entities that have been put in place by statute are now looking for ways to circumvent and work around the Constitution, uh, the Constitution and the rights within the Voting Rights Act, the 14th Amendment, the equal protection laws that are afforded um, by these laws and that govern our country uh, and that were fought for. Um, by people that look like you and I to make sure that African-Americans had a voice in the voting process. And so the creation of which since 1965 has been something that we have heard the late John Lewis uh, speak about, the late John Conyers speak about, and something that we have all gone to the mat on making sure that African-American voice is present. And so in the whole redistricting process, for those who are listening, I'm certain they understand that Every 10 years, we deal with the, the impact of our census, um, the number of seats that are drawn as a result of the census. And we could have a whole nother show and talk about how silent the leadership was in the state and in the city on the loss um, of population uh, or the accuracy thereof of the census. But here we are today uh, with a loss of for the first time in 55 plus years to not have any congressional representation uh, in the city of Detroit. 
um, to not have uh, now a representation at the Senate level and then to lose statewide more than 20 percent of African-American voice presence elections uh, by the Black Caucus. I served as a former Detroit Caucus chair. Uh, and uh, and so so this was something that was brought to me by at that time, Senator Adam Hollier, who said nobody's listening to the fact that we're going to lose uh, representation. And he's absolutely right. I still stay in contact with former legislation because Detroit caucus to me is a continuum. So my mentor, the Honorable Carolyn Chiefs Kilpatrick, Teola Hunter, the Stallworths, and you name it, there's so many others that we communicate a text of about 20 of us talking about the historical context of how they used to redraw lines. And you'll find during this case, testimony will be given that shows even 10 years ago uh, when black Democrats had to redraw lines, they work with members even across the aisle to say, hey, we don't know your community. This is a constitutional uh, law that says we have to make sure that we ensure the protections of your community. And so there are times where you can work across the aisle to ensure, and they did, to ensure that the seats were drawn in a way that gave black voice. Now to see an entity that was created to say voters, not politicians, a number of people who did not know the direction but was led by their attorneys to create what was called communities of interest, which was really a covert way of address, addressing racial quotas. And so uh, the evidence will show in court that this is what was done. You cannot redistrict a state uh, uh, with by ignoring uh, the Voting Rights Act and so cracking fracking um, uh, uh, districts into many pieces, which is what they did to the city of Detroit. 22 districts have a piece of Detroit. Only seven of these members live in Detroit. And so wherever you fall on this whole tax scheme is another story. But you see it for the first time, legislation having its problems making its way through because they have to answer to too many communities. And, uh, so, and, and that's a big problem. So... so you talk about cracking and and splitting up communities to draw districts, which is something that uh, the VRA and the the Supreme Court, in interpreting the VRA since it was passed, has talked about as not permissible. But the other thing that's not permissible is packing, which is the opposite of cracking. And a lot of people would say that what we had before before the Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission was doing things, was that legislators would pack all of the African-American votes into Detroit so that Detroiters, A, had no no real say outside of those districts. And uh, uh, you get into this idea of, quote-unquote, wasted votes. In other words, uh, votes that are, are a district that's so overwhelmingly Democratic, for instance, that uh, th- those votes don't have any influence some, someplace else, maybe right next door to that district. Uh how do you how do you not how do you not embrace the idea i guess that uh, drawing districts that spread uh, the influence of african american voters into more districts is not better or are you saying that we just went too far in the way that we split up those dis- those old those old packed districts absolutely and 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 that's a valid point you can't pack pack as well and so 
Uh, but you got to talk about what influence is and and being 20 percent in a district that now overlaps into East Point, some into the Macomb counties. I mean, it's like, who do you answer to? Where is, does that influence really lie? And so, Stephen, you got to also look at uh, districts like uh, Rep. Donovan McKinney, mm-hmm. who even while he was campaigning, was stopped, put into the a, a police car uh, and detained for a period of time until he could prove he's actually campaigning to be their state representative. Yeah, he's walking in a Detroit suburb. They think he's a, a criminal, right? right? A- Which absolutely. is something that as African-Americans we experience all the time. A- a- absolutely. And, and so, so something similar happened to me and my team and former Red Banks when we were up uh, uh, in Benton Harbor area, a suburb of that community. All of our canvassers are getting stopped repeatedly by police officers. So that 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 racial context that exists in those communities, placing 20% of an African-American vote in that community is not going to change that construct. I agree, though, we could have more balance. And there were several maps that were submitted that would have brought us closer to um, that balance and not fall, fell woefully uh, below the requirements of VRA. And so that's what we see here. Uh, they were advised. Uh, in many instances, even by some of their own members, um, that this was wrong. But they proceeded anyway at the advisement of their attorneys. And I think what we'll see in court, as we've seen in Alabama, uh, the Supreme Court weighing in and saying, this is not complying with VRA. And certainly you have used racial quotas in these in these seats. Yeah. So so I do want to talk about what what the Supreme Court did last spring, because uh, I guess in my mind, this gives you kind of a fresh shot at the maps. I mean, the Michigan Supreme Court already said uh, in a different lawsuit that they didn't think that these maps violated the Voting Rights Act. Uh, You do have this new Supreme Court ruling, though, except that. If you look at the particulars of the case that they were dealing with in Alabama, that was done. I mean, I'm you know explicitly to to make sure African Americans did not have a say in uh, in the outcomes uh, in the electoral outcomes there. I'm not sure that that you're saying the same thing here in terms of motivation. But but tell me why you feel like what happened here in Michigan is similar or at least close enough to what happened to Alabama in, in Alabama uh, to, to, to make a new argument about this. So, so thank you, Stephen. And I, I tend to lean towards uh, the Honorable uh, Justice Bernstein, who said nothing about Richard us. Richard Bernstein here at yes. the Michigan Supreme Court. Without, without yeah. us. Thank yeah. you, Michigan. Yeah. Um, and um, his speech, uh, both at the 14th Congressional District Uh, prior to uh, the vote at the Supreme Court and um, during the vote um, on these maps. I'm not an attorney, but the one thing I've learned in this process as I was very intricately involved in the state Supreme Court's case, and thank you to Rep. um, Attorney Nabi Ayad, who was a civil rights attorney who moved us forward as much as he could. These, these, These complaints are very expensive. And so what we did not have, which is a requirement anytime you're bringing lawsuit, is to have uh, that expert opinion 
And the reason we also were behind the eight ball at that point was we didn't really have any concrete data hmm. uh, or an election that would demonstrate that uh, these seats that are won typically in the city of Detroit are won in the primary, not the general election. And so it takes a whole lot to make sure that people understand that. So I'm not sure um, that our Supreme Court members really ruled in in, in the proper way, um, except for the test of having that expert evidence and not having an election to rely on. Hmm. I think going forward, we've had an election to rely on. And all you had to do is look at uh, former Senator Bullock, uh, Marshall Bullock's seat, and then look at uh, um, the new senator for that area uh, to determine whether African-Americans had a fair shot in selecting a representative or a senator of their choosing. And so looking at Alabama, and I'm, I'm grateful uh, that, that they were able to overturn those two congressional seats, whether the intent was nefarious or not, it, does, it, does it align with the construct of our Constitution, the, the Voting Rights Act and, via, and, and uh, uh, the Equal Protection Laws? That is what is critical in this instance. And so we have a three-panel judge that all moved us forward in this trial process to say that they believe we have enough, enough evidence to demonstrate that they have fell woefully be below the VRA compliance and uh, uh, fractured us in a way that is also using racial quotas. And so we even have um, evidence that was discovered by the media, uh, and our attorneys have access to that, and I do as well, that the commission in their closed-door sessions um, are on tape talking about their use of communities of interest. One yes. of the greatest community of interest, uh, African-Americans, was the community that was circumvented. And so I'm not saying uh, that they were intentionally uh, nefarious, but but being om omitting uh, and, and, and going beyond uh, the scope of what the law provides says that they're wrong and it's unjust. So your, your quibble really is with the constitutional amendment we made here in Michigan, which which deprioritized some of the things that you used to have to take into account to draw these maps. Communities of interest is, it doesn't have the same power that it did before in Michigan. And what you're saying is that that bumps too hard up against the requirements of the Voting Rights Act. And additionally, I mean, if you listen to the language of the closed door session, uh, it was all almost leading uh, them and like I said, in the a lawyers very, that they had, the lawyer, the lawyers that they, and so I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not pointing fingers at the commission. I believe within their limited scope of understanding, being novices in this process, mm. citizens pull from around the state to do these jobs uh, of trying to come up with the best possible solution. Uh, there were many challenges that I, that I saw that uh, really created challenges for communities like our community because transparency, uh, uh, the lack of access to the meetings, transportation, uh, being able to look at these maps and weigh in a more holistic way. So they had a, a huge job. Yeah. Uh, but I think their, their expert, their attorneys that were guiding them in this process, I think that's where the fault lies. And I think that's what evidence will show uh, with those secret or with those closed door session recordings. Yeah. Uh, uh, last, last thing I want to talk about with you, Sherry, is let's say uh, you're successful in, in this lawsuit and uh, a court determines, hey, you got to redraw these maps. And they redraw the maps to look more like the maps we had before. And that the electoral outcome of that is 
Well, Republicans have a lot easier chance to take back certainly the state Senate and maybe even the House. Is that outcome the justice that African-Americans should should want or 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 have here in 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 Michigan? I mean, again, outcomes and process are two different things. Mm -hmm. I get that. But I, I want to have you talk about the prospect of that outcome and whether that would be unjust or more unjust than what we see now. Let, let me tell you this. Uh, um, um, I, I was asked by a student before. I'm a former science teacher, but I was asked by a student before, um, can African-Americans truly be patriotic? And I said, absolutely. We have served this country. We have fought for this country. We have carried the water. Unfortunately, in many instances, I have for my party. Um, And so I am a staunch Democrat through and through. But what I am first, I'm very patriotic. And I believe in the Constitution and the rights that it affords African-Americans, all people in this country. And anytime we start letting our liberal brothers and sisters dictate uh, the order of the day by saying, look, we gave you a speaker. Look, we gave you the opinion appearance of of leadership but I still see policies that are not coming out reflective of up the upliftment of my community we cannot circumvent the constitution we cannot pick and choose and then demonize the other party when we feel like they are taking away voting rights act Hmm. Uh, so if voting rights and access to voting is critical in this country it's the substratum of who we are as America how can we now say as Democrats let's be quiet about this because this at least gave us the majority not on my watch we have to be compliant to vra the 14th amendment and the equal protections therein and this lawsuit i've i've talked to the leadership of our party lavora barnes i'm asking for a sit down so we can have a conversation because changing these maps to ensure that they're compliant won't automatically give Republicans a foot up. Right. It's not a foregone conclusion. It's it's not. And so if we look at these maps and the suggestions that have been provided, we can bring us closer to compliance and still have a fair shot uh, at having a majority. But the white liberal majority can't be on the blacks on the backs of black people. That's a no for me all day. And that's why I've stayed true to this. Black leadership matters and it matters across this country. And it matters in Michigan. If Michigan, if Alabama can get this right, Alabama, certainly Michigan can get it right. The the free North. Come on now, Stephen, we got to do better. All right. I'm waiting to talk to LaVora Burns. So the call is out there. I would love, I would love for her to come in here and talk with us as well. And I hope she does sit down and talk with uh, the folks involved with the lawsuit as well. Sherry Gay Danyogo, it is always great to talk with you. And I appreciate you coming in to discuss this. I appreciate your excellence. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about voting rights, the Supreme Court, and our maps here in Michigan. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. We have been talking about the possibility of Michigan's new political maps having violated 
The Voting Rights Act, uh, a lawsuit, claims they have, and there will be a trial next month in a federal court to determine how much the VRA must influence the way that we draw maps here in Michigan now that we're doing it really differently than we did it before. But what exactly does the Voting Rights Act say states like Michigan have to do? And when has the Voting Rights Act actually been violated. To discuss all of that in a national context, we've got Joshua Douglas here with us. He is a voting rights professor at the University of Kentucky College of Law. He has a forthcoming book that's titled The Court Versus the Voters, the troubling story of how the Supreme Court has undermined voting rights. Uh, Professor Douglas, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. So, um, I want to start with uh, a little bit of history. I find it a little ironic, I guess, that African-American voters here in Michigan are feel empowered or or at least uh, strengthened by something the U.S. Supreme Court did with uh, the Voting Rights Act. And the reason I say that, of course, is because the court has been on a very long uh, path of eroding the strength of the Voting Rights Act uh, starting several decades ago. But, uh, of course, um, uh, the, the big case from North Carolina was a real pivot point. So I want you to talk about a little of that history and how we end up in this space today where I don't know maybe some maybe some people have a little bit of hope that the VRA is stronger than it used to be sure so I think it's right that the court had robustly understood the protections of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 uh, soon after its enactment um, and it's really been, you know, the past decade, maybe 15 years in which the court has struck down various parts of the Voting Rights Act um, or construed it narrowly. You know, there was uh, the Shelby County case from 2013, Mm -hmm. which gutted one of the major protections of the Voting Rights Act that uh, said certain covered jurisdictions, certain typically places in the South had to uh, ask for pre-approval before changing voting rules. Um, and, you know, just a couple years ago, there was a case out of Arizona uh, where the court really changed the scope of the protection of another portion of the Voting Rights Act, Section 2. But one area where the court has seemed to continue to allow this Section 2, which is the, the basis of this Michigan lawsuit, uh, to continue to flourish is in redistricting, in the way it looks at uh, the type of uh, and level of representation of uh, minority individuals in, in maps. And then, as you noted, just this past uh, uh, June, the court basically rejected a pretty radical argument out of Alabama to gut the act even further. Um, nothing major changed from the Supreme Court's decision mm-hmm. in the Alabama case, except for rejecting a really radical argument that a lot of, that a lot of people thought the court might accept But I think you're right that that has led some people to say, okay, well, at least the courts are still open for claims of uh, redistricting harms for a lack of sufficient minority representation in new maps. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's talk about what the Voting Rights Act 
requires when states are, through whatever process they choose, uh, drawing uh, these maps every every 10 years. Um, let's go back to the beginning and talk about what the VRA was trying to counter, what was happening at the time, and what it says states have to think about now. Sure. So, uh, the Voting Rights Act was, you know, one of the most important civil rights laws in history, and it, it did a lot of different things. Um, Section two, as I mentioned, is the provision that is most important now after the Supreme Court gutted Section five mm-hmm. uh, in that Shelby County case. And Section two requires that uh, laws do not have either the intent to discriminate uh, against minority voters or, and importantly, the effect. Um, and, and this effects test is uh, particularly significant because back in the early 1980s, the Supreme Court construed the language of the law then to not have an effects test, to not say you know that you just you can look at the impact of a law. And then in 1982, Congress amended the Voting Rights Act to reinsert an effects test. So now most of the litigation on Section Two asks, what's the impact of a law? Even if a state's not trying to harm minority voters, does the law have that impact? And this reaches any aspect of the voting process. Although, again, as I noted, the Arizona case from just a couple of years ago, um, the, the court really gutted the protection of Section 2 when it comes to other voting laws. So what's what's left, and although you could still bring a claim on other voting laws, what's really left or what's, what's most significant are these claims on redistricting. Um, now there's a three-part test that the court applies to redistricting maps to ask, do these maps have the effect of making minority voters less able to elect the candidates of their choice, less able to have robust participation. Um, and we can talk about the, you know, the details of that three-part test if you'd like, but that's the thing that Alabama was trying to change. To get rid of, In right. the case, yeah, basically to get rid of and, and sort, of, sort of strangely say that uh, when, when looking at maps, you can't think about race to ask whether the map has an impact on race, <laughs> right? Which is it's kind of backwards, yes. right? I mean, how, you know, the whole point of the law is to ensure that a map does not have the effect of making minority representation worse off. And Alabama said, well, don't think about race when you're doing that calculation. And and the court rejected that. Um, It did leave the door open, by the way. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people in the voting rights community point to that decision as, as good news, but justice Kavanaugh in a concurrence in that case uh, said, you know, I'm not sure if this part of the voting rights act can live forever either. Just like, the court had struck down um, the Section 5, the pre-approval or you know, pre-clearance provision. So th- there's a little bit of concern out of the court from Justice Kavanaugh's statement there. But with respect to this case in Michigan, uh, the current test, which has been around for several decades, looking at this effects test it is still the one that the court will apply. Yeah. So I, I want to talk just a little about um, what I see as a, a, a tension between outcomes, potential outcomes, I guess, in, in the modern context uh, of voting rights. And this has to do specifically, really, with the, the, the court challenge that's taking place here in Michigan. And I know uh, that, that you, you are not an expert on, on Michigan or Michigan politics, um, but, but 
one of the things that the commission here tried to do was to uh, create larger communities of interest than we have had in the past. Uh, as I said in the last segment, the, the history here is that uh, the legislature would pack black voters very tightly into uh, districts in majority black cities. So Detroit had lots of representatives elected from Detroit, but they were elected from districts that didn't reach into the suburbs in any way. They're saying now that because we've changed the, the priorities for uh, map drawing here in Michigan, that uh, that creating these larger communities of interest uh, is is important. Now, that automatically leads to a dilution of black voting power in those districts. Instead of being 60 or 70 percent African-American or even in some cases, I think we had some that were in the 80s, they're now largely in the 40s, below majority. Um, and, And I think that even beyond the questions of race, there are important things for us to think about when we think about what what communities we create for representation, um, and and they do bump up against the requirements that we not discriminate against people or or, or prevent uh, communities of color from being able to choose the people they want to represent them. I, I want to have you talk just a little about that tension and whether. Whether what we're doing here in Michigan, which has kind of fundamentally changed our approach to this, uh, exacerbates that tension. Yeah, that's one of the really interesting things about this Michigan lawsuit is that it's not challenging a legislature's drawn map, right? You know, the independent redistricting commission that the voters adopted for, you know, uh, in, in recently, I guess it was about 2018 was when the vote happened. And so this is the first set of maps being drawn by that commission. The whole point was to in- inject a measure of fairness that had not been uh, in the maps previously because you had a partisan-laden legislature drawing them. Um, but, but, you know, so you have that input of, of kind of more fairness at the same time, you have Supreme Court case law that does say that when you're looking at a Voting Rights Act Section 2 challenge, uh, one of the measures to determine does a district create a, an opportunity for minority voters to, an, to elect a candidate of choice is whether they constitute 50 percent in the relevant district. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that first test, the first part of the, the, the test that we, we talked about that Alabama was trying to get, um, asks quite literally, do minority voters um, represent a majority in a different district? Uh, or, you know, did, it, is the map as drawn, does it create districts where minority voters are less than 50% such that they cannot um, elect a candidate of their choice and have robust representation. And there was a challenge about a decade ago where a state basically, uh, or the plaintiffs basically said, you know, the maps drawn are 40% minority in various districts. Um, and the state said, in, you know, uh, but there's crossover voting mm-hmm. with the white majority. And so therefore, these are still what they call opportunity districts. Minorities still have the opportunity to... Um, elect candidates of choice with the crossover voting. 
And the court said, yeah, that doesn't count. The court said to, to, to make a sufficient claim under the Voting Rights Act, the plaintiffs have to show that you could redraw the maps to actually have majority minority districts. That is 50 percent minority districts. You yeah. can't say you violated the Voting Rights Act because you didn't draw enough opportunity districts. Yeah. Um, now, this is a little bit different right here because the commission drew essentially opportunity districts at the expense of majority districts. So it's a it's slightly different flavor. But so you have that. You're right. You have that tension between, you know, does this have the effect of reducing participation when instead of you having majority districts, you have opportunity districts that require crossover voting from the white majority. It's not something that courts have really faced these two different things. One, the commission, an independent redistricting commission doing this. And two, the commission itself saying, you know, these are sufficient opportunity districts. Right, right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation with law professor Joshua Douglas of the University of Kentucky. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. talking with Joshua Douglas. Uh, he is the Ashland Inc. Spears Distinguished Research Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. We're talking about voting rights, which is his specialty. We're talking about the challenge to the new electoral maps that we have now started using here in Michigan. A group of African-American voters and their supporters say that MAP dilutes African-American voting power in a way that violates the Voting Rights Act. Uh, we'd love to hear from you during the conversation. Let's start today with Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Thank you. What concerns me about the lawsuit, that it seems more like it's protecting the jobs of legislators rather than the point of view of um that I see in the outcome of legislature uh, that uh, is a, that favors the positions of Democrats. So the, I'm happier that you know, <laughs> that we have Democrats in the legislature. We may have had more black politicians, but Democrats didn't control all three houses in the state legislature. Mm -hmm. So, so Bernadette, I, I, that's a really interesting perspective because it's the opposite of what the supporters of the lawsuit are saying. They're saying that the the outcome of electing Democrats is not a sufficient substitute for the the proper opportunity for African Americans to elect people who look like them. Tell me why for you uh, that's flipped. Why is that the opposite? I don't care if the person is black. If um, the laws that are passed favor the positions that um, that I want. Yeah, uh, Bernadette, I'm I'm really glad you called uh, and shared that that perspective. Uh, Joshua Douglas, uh, what what she's bumping up against here is the difference between uh, process and outcome. I think, uh, and and give us a sense of which the VRA is more concerned with. Yeah, I mean. 
that's right in that there is this tension. The, the language of the Voting Rights Act is focused on effect, right? It's a focused on outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the real question is, does the map provide sufficient representation for minority voters? And it's it sort of the, the law doesn't really care about partisan outcomes. Now, of course, the, the reason the tension exists here is because we have such stark racial block voting. That is to say that, you know, in most places, black individuals tend in the aggregate to support Democratic candidates. Uh, and and the opposite, uh, you know, the white majority in many places tend to to support Republicans. And so it, often these lawsuits are kind of partisan gerrymandering sure. um, and that underlies a lot of the concerns, right? Or like the political effects are what matters. But for the people on the ground, right, it, it matters to have minority representation. Who's in the room makes a big difference. Um, and so... That's why the the key question is what level of representation do blocks of minority voters who all live near each other, which also is a important criteria of mm-hmm. the law. You need to have a geographically compact uh, group of minority voters. Um, what level of representation do they enjoy under a map? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bernadette, uh, I really appreciate the call and you sharing that perspective with our listeners. Uh, let's go next to Robert in Detroit. Robert, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, I just want to say that Bernadette is spot on, in my opinion, but I wanted to say that, I, from my understanding, there were just way too many African Americans competing, and so that kind of watered down their chances. I think that nobody knew how these elections would turn out given the new maps, but there's opportunities there for people to do their politicking a little bit differently. Hmm. And we see that, you know, Sri Tanadar and, and Rashida Tlaib, or, you know, they're people of color, but they were much more progressive, at least, you know, in, in terms of how they present themselves. And, um, and we had, you know, abortion on the ballot, so you probably had a lot more young people than usual. I think it's an ideological thing, and I don't really think, you know, representation is hugely important, but it's like it, it has to, you know, represent the people. And I, I just think that, you know, it, this lawsuit is a little bit premature, Um I think now that the maps are there, people are going to have to approach things differently, the way yeah. they politic and yeah. Robert, coalitions. Robert, that's a that's a really great point. And I want to make a distinction before we go back to our guest. Uh, you're talking about the congressional seat uh, that that we saw turnover uh, this last time, and the number of African Americans who sought that congressional seat, which made it possible. For Sri Tanadar, who is Indian American, to win with a very small percentage of the vote because the African Americans split up the vote, we did see that in the congressional seat, and that's a—I I think that's a slightly different issue than what we saw in uh, the state legislature, where the districts are drawn in a way that mixes African American voters in with suburban white voters uh, and, and really would have required that the African-Americans who were representing those parts of Detroit before go and campaign in the suburbs, in white communities, in order to get those votes uh, to make sure that they could win. I think it's two different issues, but you're, they're absolutely related. Uh, Joshua Douglas, I want to get your reaction to what, uh, uh, what Robert's talking about. 
So one thing that's important to recognize with respect to these lawsuits is that um, the outcome of the elections is not what's important. Um, what's important is do minority voters have the opportunity to elect a candidate of their choice? And, and I can't, you keep using that language, candidate of choice, because it doesn't necessarily have to be someone of the same race, sure. according to Supreme Court case law. It's that there needs to be the ability to elect uh, to basically to have a say and, and to be able to elect someone that the that adheres to the minority community's needs and interests, uh, et cetera. And so, you know, the court's not going to look necessarily at election outcomes under a map. It's going to look at the data from the map in terms of where do minority voters live, what do the districts look like, um, what would an alternative map look like, would an alternative map give uh, better representation uh, it will look at statewide, you know, what's the percentage of minority voters statewide and what percentage of districts are minority voters a majority, yeah. as test referred to as proportionality. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while Robert's comment is interesting in terms of the actual election outcomes, with respect to the lawsuit, we're going to, the, the court's going to be looking at the inputs. What does the map look like, like not how did the map perform in the past election. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert, great question. I uh, really appreciate you calling. Let's go next to Verona in St. Clair Shores. Verona, we're running out of time, but uh, I want to get your question in here. Well, I don't know if it's, it's not really a question, yeah. but a comment. And I'm glad I listened to you today because I never thought of the racial aspect. Um and I'm retired, I we have a lot of people, a lot of black people living in the area now that mm -hmm. we didn't used to. Mm -hmm. However, I can't get over the mixing Macomb and Wayne County. Mm. It makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about the interest. Factor. Yeah. V Verona, I, I, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to give Joshua Douglas a, a chance to respond. What she's talking about, Doug, is is the the community of interest question. Right. Macomb County is a, is a suburb of, of Detroit. Uh, it now shares um, uh, some districts with the city of Detroit and Wayne County, which is the county that we're in. Verona feels like that's not representative. Uh, tell me how VRA thinks about that. You know, what's interesting is that what we're touching on is one reason a state can justify the way it draws maps is to say that it's trying to keep communities of interest together or um, not wanting to split county lines, um, you know, political subdivisions together. It sounds like the map here, though, used to have counties kind of enclosed and yes. now we're splitting county lines. Absolutely. And so, you know, that that actually makes the state's, uh, you know, the commission's argument a little bit weaker because at least it can't justify the map by saying we're looking at, you know, we're, we're trying to achieve these other legitimate redistricting interests of keeping communities of interest together or not splitting county, county lines. It, it takes away that defense. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Joshua Douglas of the University of Kentucky Law School, author of a new book titled The Court Versus the Voters, The Troubling Story of How the Supreme Court Has Undermined Voting Rights. Great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. 
Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. And podcast editing is by David Lyons. Our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit, and you can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.